What's up, Glampreneurs? Before we get into this episode, I have a special guest that is here. She is an awesome, awesome resource, wealth of information when it comes to just scaling your business. And I am here to just kind of introduce her. We're going to do something a little bit different where we go back and forth and kind of interview each other. And so I hope you guys enjoy this podcast as we are going to talk about how to market your business and also how to scale up your business. And it's all for those of you guys who are interested in being a part of the beauty industry. So stay tuned. Welcome to Life After Beauty School, What I Wish Someone Told Me, a podcast for glampreneurs who want to take their business to the next level. If you struggle with building your clientele, marketing yourself on social media, working long hours behind the chair, or maybe you've been in the beauty industry for a while and you're tired of hustling and ready to run an effective business, you might want to stop and take a listen because this podcast is for you. I'm Deandra Giselle, hairstylist, business coach, and educator. I discuss real action plans and solutions to help you live a wealthy life. Now let's get into this podcast. Hello, Glampreneurs. Uh, This is like our first time attempting this. (laughs) We have been trying to record this podcast, and by we, I have someone here with us today. So there's going to be something a little bit different We have um, two podcast hosts, two podcasts recording at the same time. So we're going to be interviewing each other, introducing ourselves to each other's audience. And Jasmine, go ahead and introduce introduce yourself and then I will do the same. Yes. So uh, thank you for your patience. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to say that this is going to be a great episode already. But my name is Jasmine Jones, and I am the host of the Beauty in the Network podcast, where I talk all about marketing, lifestyle, CEO habits, and everything that you need to know to start, scale, and maintain your beauty or service-based business so that it does not run your life. You run it with confidence. And I basically started my business because um, at the age of 19, um, right after I was done with cosmetology school, I got this gut instinct that I should be pursuing bridal, but I needed to find a job while I was trying to figure out the pathway of bridal. And I was putting in my resume to all of the well-known salons in my area. They were very excited about my resume because of my retail sales, my retention, how many people I brought into the school. And they were excited for me until they actually saw me in person because they didn't realize that this bubbly voice was attached to a young, dark-skinned, melanated female. And I just had a lot of diverse issues. And that really is what led me to basically take control of my own income versus putting it in the hands of someone else. Um, I had a lot of mindset struggles in the very beginning, but eventually I was able to start my own bridal beauty agency, which I own now. We service North, South, (laughs) uh, Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia. And I have 18 licensed cosmetology and aesthetics um, freelance artists that work for my business and represent my brand very well, if I do say. 
That is awesome. And tell my audience the name of your podcast. The podcast is called the Beauty and the Network Podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I am the Andrew Giselle podcast host of Life After Beauty School, and I am a business coach for hairstylists. My background is public relations and advertising. I worked at an advertising agency in the ATL for two years. The market crashed. I lost my job and I had to just kind of rethink what I was doing, why I was doing it. And I ended up going to cosmetology school right after that. And I moved in with my mom and I had a five-year-old son and I was starting a new career. And even though it was, um, really brought me to where I'm at today. In the moment, it was really hard to just start that career. So here on the Labs podcast, you will get a lot of marketing tips because that is my background. You will get mindset because I like to marry um, life skills with marketing strategies so that you can be a CEO and a boss in your business and really just deal with the balance of being a mom and a CEO. So you'll find that at the podcast and also on my Instagram. Yes, yes. Well, that is exciting. Yes. So Jasmine, I'm going to ask you, because mm-hmm. this is something I talk about a lot when I'm teaching hairstylists to really niche it down. Mm-hmm. And what made you decide to niche down to a beauty bridal business? Yeah. So originally, like I said, I originally wanted to do cut colors and highlights, but something in my gut basically told me to pursue the bridal world. And when I first stumbled upon the bridal world, I was servicing everyone. If you're getting married, I wanted to do your hair and makeup, but I realized very fast that that was not um, a uh, pathway that was very intentional or strategic because the clients that I were actually uh, booking and working with, they they were great, but they weren't necessarily my cup of tea. Now, um, our marketing is geared more towards the natural glam for the bride who wants to be like her 2.0 authentic self. A lot of our brides don't wear makeup so we want to help them just look like an elevated version of themselves but not completely transform them into a completely different person um and another thing that my business is known for is diversity and inclusion my brand in uh my hometown where i was at before i moved uh we were the known bridal beauty team for if you had a mixed race bridal party then they're booking with us and that was the lane that kind of it fell into my lap it was just kind of no a a no-brainer for me um but that is really when my business started to take off we got known for the diversity brand the brand that just wants you to feel like an elevated 2.0 version of yourself so once i actually niched down and claimed that lane business skyrocketed and that is actually what led me to move from charleston to um i'm i'm close to charlotte north carolina i actually live in rock hill but nobody knows where that's at um so I tell people Charlotte um and then after that we were able to expand to uh Tennessee and Georgia so when you niche down um it's easy for people to recognize your brand you get a amazing reputation and it kind of speaks for itself when it's known for something 
aside from just cute hair and cute makeup. Mm -hmm. That's good that you say that. One of my mentors says something all the time and he says, people purchase where they see themselves, Mm -hmm. which is why niching down is important because then you can hone in on that specific target audience. They see themselves in your business and then they want to come and see you. And even though she niched down, you guys, key word was her business skyrocketed. So that doesn't mean that you're, you know, cutting your profits in half. You're actually increasing those profits because you know exactly who you're talking to. So that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, love to ask you a question. So earlier you were talking a little bit about how you blend the, uh, you know, the life and the business together because you do have little ones at home. And for me, I love to use myself as an example. And I know for me, when I started to focus more on trying to bring in some kind of balance, whatever that balance looks like for for us, it's going to be completely different. But I know for me, I needed balance because there, I had no boundaries around when work started, when work ended. Uh, my boyfriend, now fiance, he wanted to go out and I was like, I have to work. I can't go out. So for you, do you have like a, a pivoting moment that really led to you wanting to focus more on the sustainability between being a mom, being a boss, and how you blend it together? Do you have any tips for anyone who feels like they have no uh, balance at all and how to actually work towards um, getting that for themselves? Yeah. So the moment that showed me I needed to kind of figure out the harmony between the two was my son plays basketball. Seriously. He's uh, 16, going to be 17. Um, he is six, five at this age. So he's always been tall for his age, but he's serious about going to uh, college and playing. And what happened for me was that I was um, not able to make a lot of his games. Saturday and Sunday, travel ball, those are the games. And I work on Saturdays. And those were like one of my money making days. And I was scared to let go of those days, but I was feeling heavy mommy guilt when I couldn't make those games. So I knew something had to change. Um, So I just started to decide that I was going to show up more for my son. And so the reason why I don't really talk about balance is because we know that as entrepreneurs, our business goes up and it goes down, it goes up Mm -hmm. and it goes down. And sometimes you have to lean more into your business and your family. I don't want to say takes a a backseat, but they understand that you have to be laser focused on that. And then sometimes you have to lean more into your family because things are going on or you just want to, you know, Mm -hmm. and what I decided was that I was no longer going to, I was no longer going to work on Saturdays and Sundays, which is like kind of unheard of. And my clients adjusted. They, there was no issue. I thought I was going to lose people. I thought I was not going to be able to, you know, bring the same income in and they were understanding. And I, you know, created some boundaries and guidelines and I stuck to them. And you guys will see me say that a lot on social media, which is 
create your guidelines, create your boundaries and stick to them. That is how you're going to be able to create the harmony between family and work. So I don't answer text messages after business hours. I don't work for the last minute client who didn't schedule their appointment in time. It's like, I'm sorry, you can get on my wait list. And people respect that. You know, it seems scary because you're like, but if I don't do their hair, I don't make money, but they respect that. And if you have your business running the way it's supposed to, you won't be scrambling to make profit. Absolutely. I love that. That's such a great tip. And, you know, something that I always say, because I'm not a mama yet, um, but I definitely want to be able to like go to my kids, you know, plays and any of the things that they really have. So I know for me, um, boundaries, just even now making make making a priority of what's important right now and for me I like to say like different seasons I'm focusing on different things so that was that was a great that was a great tip right there yeah and I want to say it doesn't matter if you have kids or not there are things that you just want to do you know what I mean like I see your posts about (laughs) self-care um those Mm -hmm. are all important things and use whether you have kids or not you got to create boundaries with your clients like you have to Um, So one of the questions I have for you is, you know, you niche down into having a bridal business and was there ever any fear in niching down? And if so, how did you overcome that fear? Yeah. So just like I was talking about before, um, once I actually niche down into the 2.0 version um, style of makeup and really servicing um, a wide range of skin tones and hair textures. Before my marketing was just like, hey, if you're getting married, we can do your hair and makeup, right? It wasn't necessarily like, hey, are you looking to feel like this? Are you looking to experience this? So the people that we were actually attracting, we had a more of a higher price point and they just didn't really see the value because we weren't talking about the value. We were just Mm -hmm. talking about hair and makeup. And I was very afraid that if I got very specific that I was going to cut people off. But when we actually narrowed down, like I said before, that's when our business really skyrocketed because we got known for something very specific. We got known for our specialty, our aesthetic, our style. And for anyone who is worried about uh, cutting people off or making people feel like the service isn't for them, it's actually going to attract more people to you. And now when you have a specialty, when you have a lane that you can claim, you can put a premium on that price tag. So that that's just my experience with it. I wish that I would have gotten very specific in my business at the very at the very start, but I learned best by my mistakes. So Absolutely. without even going through that, I wouldn't have known why I would have had that success or why I was having a roadblock. So now whenever I have people who are like, something's going on, I'm like, get very specific in who you want to attract, who you want to serve and how you want to serve them. So that's, that's my tips for niching down and what my experience was. Awesome. No, that is, that is key because I think that if you, if you don't niche down, like I, I just was thinking about all my mistakes too, and just being all over the place. 
You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. And you're right. I was talking about cute hair, cute makeup, but not <laughs> about the whole entire experience. Yeah. A different type of clientele. And the thing that you said that makes so much sense is you start talking about the experience. They understand the value. They understand the price point. Yes, absolutely. And that's something that I feel like a lot of beauty pros don't necessarily think of. We're like, oh, well, we come to you or have silky hair, have straight hair. But it's like, what does that actually do for them? Mm -hmm. Like, what problem does that solve for them? So just getting very into like the external and the uh, external benefits of what you're actually providing for them. Yeah, that's good. I love it. Okay, so my next question for you is, since you said that you have a background in PR and in marketing, so for you, when you branched off and got into the beauty world after you were done with cosmetology school, did you, would you say that your PR and your marketing background experience, do you think that it really helped you? Or do you think that there were some challenges that you had to kind of overcome even with having that prior background knowledge? I'm going to say yes to both. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it definitely helped me because I understood how to market my business. Like I understood the importance of having a target audience. I understood branding, what it means to have a cohesive brand so that people can recognize you. Um, But I still made mistakes. I was still learning from my mistakes. And it took me a while to even realize that what I had learned in college could help me in my current business. So when I married those two things together, I felt like I was just a bit above uh, most salons and not saying that we were better than, but how we were running our business was more efficient. um, Understanding that you know, okay, everything at the time, the salon colors was like purple and uh, like black, white, and purple, right? So our website reflected that. We used a certain font. So people knew when they saw these, like they associated those colors with us and what they bring. Mm -hmm. The vibe, I understood immediately what type of vibe needed to happen. Did I understand that I was showing value No, but they enjoyed the experience. And when we raised prices, there was no issue because they understood Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, this is how I feel when I'm here. This is what I get when I'm here. So I never had like, you know, clients saying, oh, you guys are expensive or whatever. We actually had people walk into the salon look around and be like, you know what? I don't think this salon's going to be for me. And that was not offensive at all. It was like, oh, if you want to be at a, a, not a salon, but a shop is I, I like, <laughs> there's a difference between the two. If you want to be at a yeah. shop where, you know, there's no appointments, you're going to be there all day. You guys are going to gossip about other hairstylists and other clients. Then if that was your vibe, then my salon wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like we really understood what our purpose was because of my background. I understood what it was like to have an image. So I trained my hairstylist to really make sure that their image was a certain way. And, you know, I think it just put us 
propelled us forward faster, but there was definitely mistakes made. <laughs> you know, there I was, yeah, there's definitely mistakes made. Yes. I love that. And even like what you were just saying, like the vibe. So I know there's a lot of uh, bridal artists that follow me who have uh, like studio locations and they're all, they're so big about the vibe and wanting things to be pretty and cute, but they don't necessarily, just like you were talking about, like with the brand colors and the vibe and, you know, someone can walk in and instantly know like this is going to be my salon home or maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Like when you have a specific idea of who you want to serve, you know how to curate that space and that environment. And I think that that's something that isn't necessarily talked about a lot Mm -hmm. um, in the beauty world, but it's a big component component to client retention, especially if you do um, like cut color services where people are coming back aside from bridal. So I love that you mentioned that. And that's definitely something that is very important. Yeah. And I also want to say too, that everything should be about your audience, your target Mm. audience, your client avatar is what I call it. Even the type of music that you play, even the vibe of the salon, it shouldn't be, Oh, these are my favorite, you know, songs. So I play these. So my My favorite colors. Yeah. My favorite (laughs) colors. Like what does your salon, your business, your brand represent? And then those are your colors. So, you know, full transparency, purple was my favorite color. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I did not like, oh, let me look into the meaning of the color. Now, when (laughs) I rebranded, I did start looking into the meaning of certain colors and that's how I chose them. And that's what everything was about. But initially it was my favorite color. Um, But the music that I played reflected the type of client avatar I created. So For instance, I played like old school jams, you know, like uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. I played, you know, and those are jams for everybody, but (laughs) they're like classic tunes that, you know, even my daughter can dance to at three or three years old. But it wasn't like, you know, um, rap music or, you know, I remember one day I walked into my salon and uh, one of my hairstylists opened for me. And she was playing back that thing up. And I was like, ma'am, no. And it wasn't because that ain't the jam. That's the jam. Yeah. But I'm like, that's not this environment, right? Yeah. So when we're cleaning up and no other, you know, clients are in there, we could play whatever we want to clean up. But while the doors are open and clients are here, we play jams. And that was because my target audience was women who were 40 and up and they yeah. were bosses, meaning they were uh, lawyers, doctors, you know, um, they just made a certain income bracket and they wanted to relax, but still have a good time. And that's what the salon had to reflect. So, you know, I'm like club music didn't belong (laughs) in the salon, you know? I love that. I love that. And that, and like one thing that I definitely want to say before you get on to the next question is that's something that I talk a lot about when it comes to your brand personality online. It's like, who are you talking to? Like for us, our predominant clientele is between like 28 to 38. So I know certain words, certain topics, certain boy band groups that were popular back in the day. 
those are things that they're going to be easily that they can easily relate to and even when i have like email communication like what verbiage are you using are you saying like bride tribe glam squad we attract more of like that younger mindful uh community so some of the word choices that we use is going to be specific to that clientele so all, all of that yes even on like a wedding day, it's the playlist. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like all of yes. that matters. Um, and I, I love that we're, we're really getting into that because I think even though you may create your client avatar or you create who your target audience is, sometimes mm -hmm. you lose sight that every single thing that you do pertaining to your business needs to be from them down yeah. to your word choices. Right. So I love that. But since you mentioned emails, so I had mm -hmm. listened to your podcast and you talked about, um, how you automate your interactions with yeah. your clients and, Absolutely. I was like, light bulb, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, I, I understand automating for like coaching businesses and things like that, but it never dawned on me to automate your business as a beauty professional, no matter what your niche is. So can you talk about what those automations are or how you do it? Yeah. So I can kind of break it down in phases. So of course I have an automated um, inquiry experience. So someone reaches out, they want to know what our dates are, our availability. So I have an inquiry process that's automated. They just fill out a form and they instantly receive an email just saying like, thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, connect with us. Here's some details until we reach out to you with the next step. That's the most important part. Let them know that we're going to reach out with you for the next step. And the second process that I have is basically my booking process. Either I want to pursue that client or either I want to refer them to someone else. Personally, we do have a service minimum. Um, since I do utilize a team, I like to prioritize larger bookings versus solo bookings. So that's just going to determine uh, what template they get. Either here's some recommendations or here, let's talk a little bit more about the next step in getting you a customizable proposal. So once they get that proposal, everything is automated after that. And let's say ask like a random question, but I like to break things down in a very uh, milestone uh, base client journey. So for bridal, it's a very, it's very uh, easy to automate, automate, uh, automate bridal. Um, you might can utilize this if you have repeat clients who are doing like treatments and things like that. But for bridal, for it, example, if I have someone who books their, their hair and makeup six months out, I know that I need to get certain amount of information from them. That's going to be automated in my welcome process. And I know that three months out before their wedding, I'm probably going to start planning for their trial. So I'm going to have an automated email that says, hey, it's time to plan for your trial. And then, of course, getting closer to their wedding day, I'm going to do that last check-in. They're going to get their timeline. And these are all sequences that I have automated. And in order for you to really automate your business, you need to know what happens at the start, in the middle, and at the very end so that you can break things down to see what's going to be the most effective and efficient way for you to set up your automation and 
set up how you actually go about your work days. So I like mm-hmm. to work in quarterly chunks. So since I know that something is going to happen six months out, three months out, I now know what I need to focus on my client admin days, six months out or three months out, which allows me to be at least like three to four months ahead of client work um, since I put that strategy into my business Um, because a lot of the bridal world is hurry up and go. So Mm -hmm. anything that can really help you get a head start on planning for your client details and anything like that, I just like to go ahead and automate it. But it took me a while to map that out, see what worked. Um, I have a little process that's called develop the process, test the process, automate the process. And all you're doing is just testing out what flow works best for you. Just kind of like you were saying, um, finding the balance that works best for you in your household, whether you're a mom or you're not a mom. So that's definitely what led to uh, that process that you heard on the podcast. Yeah. But I was just thinking if, even if you don't have a bridal business, if Uh you have your client avatar and you know who your target audience is, you can start figuring out the start of the experience, the middle and the end, like you said, Uh based on like, if you're a colorist, there's certain questions Mm -hmm. you need to ask in the beginning. There's things that they may need to know in the middle and, you know, at towards the end to get them to reschedule with you. So Mm -hmm. I could totally see the, uh, even with extensions, haircuts, like all of those things. But if you know who your client is, then I think that you can find a way to automate it. Absolutely. And something that popped into my head and and something that I utilize is at certain steps, I have my my automated email, but of course I have affiliated links. Maybe it's uh, a recommendation for skincare or how they can start their own skincare routine. And it's just products that we recommended. So not only can you focus on servicing your uh, salon clients in a way that is more automated, now you can actually plug in your retail like, hey, you haven't been into the salon for, you know, uh, eight weeks now, you might need a new shampoo, or you might need this, here's some links that can help you you know, put something in your cart or we can save it for you for your next appointment or whatever it is. So yeah. there's so many ways to like, mm-hmm. I love strategy. So That's there's good. so many, yeah, there's so many ways that you can blend in how you serve and really build with that uh, additional income that you have. That's good. That was like an additional money tip. So not only are you (laughs) keeping in contact with your client, but you're actually getting more source of revenue that doesn't require you to do anything else, but send them an email. Absolutely. Oh, that was good. I'm like, let me write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. That's something that I uh, started to implement around uh, October of 2018 because that is when I had my first month of making zero dollars. And it was because of hurricane season. So uh, where I'm from, Charleston, South Carolina, I had all of my brides were getting married in downtown Charleston. If you've ever been to downtown Charleston, when it rains for five minutes, it literally floods. So it, it was terrible. Like power was out. No one could get into the city. And a lot of my brides had to reschedule kind of like this pandemic, but 
what I realized is that, okay, my team and I made no money. Our payment structure was very different. We were getting paid on the day of versus now we get paid three months in advance. But with that, I was able to see my business has a lot of gaps that need to get filled. Like, what am I going to do if I were to come into a situation where I can't make that income? And that's when I started to learn about passive income, affiliated marketing, and I started to test it out. And after I started doing that, I was like, okay, I need to double down on this. How can I really make this into a way that is selling for me automatically? And that's when I started to integrate it into my email communication and how I service my clients. Wow. That's good. So question, when did that help you? Cause that was in 2018, right? Yes. Did that help you in 2020 when, you know, things were kind of shut down? (laughs) It definitely did. And I, I love how for me, I, I get in preparation before I actually need the thing. And it's all about just listening to my gut. So in 2020, yes, after I was a little sad, you know, (laughs) like hairstylist on the floor, um, being dramatic, um, I said, okay, well, this is the situation. What am I going to do now? How am I going to move forward? What's going to be the best choice? And we just focused more so on our online shop. And then I actually um, pivoted a little bit more and spent more time um, building up my virtual branch. But even with the passive income that I already had in there. Um, and just to kind of give you like a little bonus tip, um, I'm big on uh, email newsletters. So if anybody inquires with our business, there's a little upsell in the background or not like an upsell, but there's like a next step where they can actually get on our newsletter list. And we're able to nurture people who didn't necessarily become a client with us, but they go through the same phase. So it's like, hey, you're planning for a wedding. Uh, are you interested in like checking out some of these bridal hair accessories? Mm-hmm. Or hey, you and your bridal party are going to be getting ready check out some of these getting ready robes. So even though they didn't become our client, they became our client through the extension of our virtual branch. So if you want to start even thinking about how you can start implementing um, affiliated sales, um, retail into your business, don't necessarily have to focus on people who are your actual clients who come into the salon think about your full audience because they're following you for a reason so don't be shy into finding different ways that you can service people who aren't your clients wow that was good that was really good i'm like as you're talking i'm getting so many ideas (laughs) of how that can be incorporated even if it's not a bridal beauty business like it can Every person needs something to maintain their hair, their makeup, something yeah. beauty, um, self-care kits. Like there's so many things that you can Absolutely. put into that online branch. So my next question for you is, so I love how you are one showcasing um, a lot about how you are growing your business, your mom, and you are very intentional about what it is that you say, what it is that you post on social media. Uh, For anybody who is really trying to step more into like their true authentic self and show up with 
more confidence. What would you say would be the biggest thing that you see with maybe people that you work with or maybe yourself? What would you say is something that really helped you catapult like your personal brand for people to know you so that they get um, attracted to who you are and help them figure out like, is this somebody who I want to work with? Do I want them to be in my space doing my hair or just basically come to your salon? What is something that has definitely helped you when it comes to confidence and just being your true self that's helped your business grow? I will say that it's clarity, clarity mm. of what, and I just posted this today. It's <laughs> um, clarity on, you know, what is my business? Why do I do it? And who my target audience is because they're a reflection of me, right? Yep. They're a reflection of me. So once I have clarity in that, then I feel confident in what I'm saying. Do I always feel confident in every single thing? Like I'm branching into a new aspect of my business. I've been a hairstylist for years. I've been a cosmetology instructor for years, and now I'm going into coaching. And every time you get into a new category in your life or a new journey in your life, you're going to feel insecure, maybe even counterfeit, or um, you may feel like you're not like what makes me the expert in this, right? It's yeah. like, because it's uncharted territory, you're not familiar with it. And I go back to the facts and there's actually a exercise that I tell the ladies that I coach that they need to do. And I'm like, okay, so all those thoughts that you have about yourself, let's write them down. I don't care if there's the ridiculous, like how ridiculous it is. I don't care. Let's write them down. And they'll start saying like, you know, I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm talking about or, you know, and then after they write all those things down, I'm like, now let's go back to the facts. So what makes you a fraud? How long have you been doing hair? How long have you been doing this? You know, and we go back to the facts and when they see them side by side, they're like, why am I telling myself this? You know? Another thing is creating um, another activity that I have them do is writing down all the what ifs because that mm -hmm. kind of hinders us too. And I do this for myself. Like, what if I post this post and nobody likes it? What if I don't get any followers? What if I don't have anyone sit in my chair? What if I decide to do this niche and I'm not good at it? So then I'm like, okay, go ahead and do your what ifs. And then again, we go through the facts. And a lot of times the what ifs are absolutely ridiculous. Like they're, you know, I remember when I was like, oh, I'm going to educate more. So I had to do this exercise when I was going to no Saturdays mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, so what if I switch to no weekends and nobody comes to me anymore and then we're broke and then we have to live in our car. And like, I just did this ridiculous scenario that yeah. honestly, so many things had to come into play before that was even a reality. And so uh, when we see things that we're telling ourselves on paper, and then we go back to the actual facts, the thing that you've done, when we see them side by side, we're like, that doesn't make sense. I can do this. Um, and so how I have been able to be more confident in the things that I'm doing is I've had clarity. I do that exercise. And then the things I'm not good at, I practice. I was yeah. not always good with public speaking. 
there's something for that. There's Toastmasters. You can learn how to be a better public speaker. Um, I, you know, started doing exercises where I look in the mirror and I see what type of facial expressions I make, you know, and whatever you're not good at, you can practice, you can do, you can be better at it. Absolutely. I love that. And something that I I love that you said is that just like you have to practice and even like going through the what ifs, like so many people like, well, what if I go live and nobody watches it? Or, or what if I promote and nobody books, like keep going. And I feel like sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves for things to be perfect the first time. And when it's not perfect, the first time we come up with, well, this is why I shouldn't have done this. And just to like, let you guys know, I'm sure you probably can, you know, attest to this as well. But I've had to try things like 10, 12 times before I even got any kind of results. And it's that faith. It's the vision that really leads you to keep going and Mm -hmm. keep trying to basically perfect the vision that you have. And you were not like you were not given a vision in general for it to not be possible for you. You just have to keep going. And so many people, they stop before they actually get to, I don't even want to say the finish line because there's no finish line, but so many people, (laughs) so many people stop before they even reap the benefits of their hard work because they're putting so much pressure on themselves and making it mean things about themselves when it's not exactly how they want it to be the first time. So I love that. Yeah. I, I really think that we have to stop trying to go for perfection, which mm-hmm. is why I had did this post as well saying, stop comparing yourself to others. Like yeah. stop it. Your journey is yours. You have to go through a different journey to be who you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I had to go to college, um, go work in my field, get laid off, move back in with my mom, start a career, own a salon, own a suite, and then be a cosmetology instructor all Mm -hmm. in, in order to be able to coach people because I can say I've been through that. I know where you're at. And so it's your journey. Don't compare yourself to anyone else and just keep going. I was just telling my son the other day with basketball, like, There is no finish line, sweetie. When you Uh attack a goal and you get it, you're not done. You can sit there and be excited (laughs) for a little bit, but then we have to move on to the next because you'll get stagnant and you'll find that you're no longer growing. You talked about a launch and in one of your podcasts, again, Uh talked about how you um, were able to get fully booked And I want to hear about this because I've, I have students who want to specialize in bridal and they're like, but it's only a season. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, I know someone who gets fully booked (laughs) and was able to get fully booked in one launch. And so can you talk about that? And then also because before a second part of that is everyone thinks that they need like a million K followers in order to get full fully booked. Yeah. Um, can you talk about like how does that play a role if it even does in your business? 
Yeah. So to talk about that launch, that launch was last year and it was, it was amazing. So if you don't know what a launch is, I basically just like to describe a launch as that a, a strategic promotional period where you're showing up and you're basically selling one specific service. Um, I have a core service that's called uh, my Southern Charm package. It's the only package that I talk about on my platform for that specific reason. And I was basically showing up for about three weeks, of course, not every single day of the three weeks. And I had intentional content that was based around, uh, you know, just different ideas that people who were getting married, what they might think like, oh, well, what's the point of having a trial? Why is the bride's makeup so expensive? Or I've had trial runs with people in the past, but I didn't necessarily get the result that I wanted. Basically meeting them with where they are at in their journey and talking more about the, the, the way that they want to feel, the way that they want to look. And with that launch, what I did was I love to utilize live. I love to talk. Um, talking is, uh, I think that that is one of my gifts. But what I did was I did collaborations. So if you feel like you have a small following and you're like, well, how do I make this something that could actually help me utilize collaboration? So reach out to wedding planners, wedding photographers, um, anybody in the wedding industry and just interview them. This is how you're going to be able to get yourself in front of somebody else's audience. But you're both giving value to each other's audiences. And it's not like, oh, well, I want to go live with so and so, so that I can get followers, but you're not necessarily giving them any kind of value. So become the expert whenever you are doing these collaborations. I want to say I did about like five or six collaborations. And with the number of collaborations that I did, I want to say that we were able to get in front of at least 15,000 extra people. So when we did that over the span of um, a couple of three weeks, now leading up to the three weeks, I was going live every other week with somebody um, for those six uh, collaborations. So throughout that period, we had people who followed us. What's up, everyone? So Jasmine and I have been trying to record this podcast, and for whatever reason, we have been having the hardest time, lots of technical difficulties. So our audio will probably be good, but video, if you're watching on YouTube, um, may not be, but the information is still good nonetheless. So if you cannot take the video, go ahead and listen to the podcast and um, we're just going to make it work. We are going to fight through this because Jasmine is someone that you guys really need to hear from. So uh, we're going to keep going. <laughs>